0: A number of years ago, there was a a Chicago-based group of researchers that wanted to study children and their concept and understanding of a concept called delayed gratification. And their big question was, does a heightened sense of delayed gratification early in childhood help later in life? Like, does it carry through? Are children with the ability to show self-control early, better equipped with the same skills later in life. So they didn't just set these kids up one time with cameras and then say bye-bye. So what they would do, they would would take these children and they would present them with with something in front of them. And they would say, you know, if you're willing to wait for this, I'll come back with and and give you another one later and then you'll have two. So they they wouldn't just set these cameras up one time and say bye-bye. They tracked these kids who became teenagers and college students to see what their experience was. And sure enough, the kids who displayed higher levels of self control became teenagers and became young adults with higher levels of self control and self awareness and higher ability to resist temptation and practice delayed gratification now I read that study a few years ago but I was reminded of it recently when I saw a bunch of parents on Facebook and YouTube posting videos where they would put something in front of their own child they would do this in their own living room they would put you know an Oreo in front of their children and say you know if you're if you're willing to wait if you if, you, if you'll trust me if you'll you know hold if you'll not eat this Oreo I'll come back with a chocolate chip cookie you know, and, and they would set their, they quietly set up their phone camera, watching to see what their kids would do and watch how their kids would react. And some kids would just eat the Oreo right away; they had no problem eating the thing right away. And some kids would sit there and their face would contort, and, and some kids were ending up in tears, and that was always kind of funny and also sad. But like you would see these kids struggle and struggle and struggle, and to to actually practice. You know, delayed gratification, and, and and they would say, you know, parents would say, if you don't eat this, you'll get a cookie, you get an ice cream. You know, if you'll if, if you'll buy, you know, wait on this one Skittle, I'll give you a whole bag of Skittles, and all that was would, would happen, and it was it was really good stuff. But as you watch these videos, there's there's two dynamics that are at play that no one really ever talks about, but are important to, for us to understand. The, number one is there's always more to temptation than what we think in the moment. To pay attention to the findings of this group from Chicago, the ice cream was never just ice cream. The cookie is never just a cookie. Waiting patiently or, uh, or giving in now becomes a habit that actually carries through for over the course of a lifetime. And the second dynamic that's at play is the kid's willingness to resist temptation hinged on their trust in the one who told them to wait. The kid's willingness to resist temptation hinged on their trust in the one who had told them to wait or in the sake of the ones uh, doing it at home, their trust in their parent. If they thought for a minute that mom or dad wouldn't keep their promise, there's no point in waiting. If they thought for a minute that mom got sidetracked and forgot about them in the other room, there's no point resisting temptation. If they thought for a moment that dad was just playing games with them, there's no point in fighting it. See, today, as we begin our series, The Resistance, talking about temptation, talking about fighting temptation, these are, these same two observations are true for you and for me every time that we are tempted. See, so here's the first one. In every temptation you face, there is more at stake than you think. In every temptation that you face, every time you're tempted, there is more at stake than you think. You think it's just a cookie, just ice cream, just a Skittle. You think all that's at stake is one test. All that's at stake is just just one date. All that's at stake is full disclosure this time. All that's at stake is this corner that we're tempted to cut. We're quick to forget, honestly, we're quick to forget that this date and that date and the next date, we earn a reputation for how we date. We try to ignore that neglecting full disclosure now often causes us to have to lie in the future. We don't want to acknowledge that cutting one corner shows us how much easier life can be if you just cut a corner or two and one corner can become a habit of cutting corners. There is always more at stake in temptation than you think every time you're tempted. And the second observation is just as true when it comes to temptation, when it comes to the temptations that you face. Every time you're tempted, the question is really can I trust my Heavenly Father? Every time you're tempted, the question that we ultimately face is, can I trust my Heavenly Father? Can I trust that He'll hold hold up His end of the promise? Can I trust that He hasn't forgotten about me? Can I trust that He's as good as He says He is, and I want to believe He is? Or am I in this and I have to make this all work for myself? See, here's the thing. For the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the resistance. How we can grow our ability to resist temptation. And if every time you're tempted, you could find a way to just pause for a moment and remind yourself of those two truths, I'm telling you, your ability to resist temptation would grow. You would end up making much better decisions. You'd live with far fewer regrets. You wouldn't live with the guilt that so many of us have come to live with. And our relationship with God wouldn't take the hits that often come when we fail to resist temptation. See, here's what I know about you, even if we've never met. You have seen some people in life who have, who have believed in God longer than you have. And when they face temptation, or when they face situations that cause people to turn in wrong directions, for some reason or another, they don't waver. And you look at them and you look at their lives and you hear their stories and you think, see, they have this all figured out, probably always have. They were the kid who passed on a Skittle for 10 minutes and got the ice cream on Sunday. And I could never be like that. I always ate the Skittle and I still would. Like like I still would. And what you can't see and what you can't see is that they didn't have that all figured out at your age or at your stage of life or at your stage in your faith journey either. Over the course of years of following Jesus, they gained perspective to see what's at stake, to see what's at stake when they're tempted. And their trust in God grew as well. And as a result, their ability to acknowledge and resist temptation grew as well, which means yours can too and mine can too. And so let's grow together over the next few weeks as we talk about growing our resistance. For the next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to look to the life of Jesus, to the example of Jesus, to see what's at stake every time that we're tempted and where temptation ultimately comes from. And we're going to learn together how we overcome it. And if your first thought is, wait, 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 Jesus faced temptation? I thought, I thought Jesus was perfect. Jesus faced temptation? I thought Jesus was perfect. You're right. He is he was. And, the, and that actually is really good news to help us understand the nature of temptation and how we overcome it. The story that we're going to look to for the next few weeks begins at the end of Matthew chapter 3. Here's what we're told in the, at the end of Matthew chapter 3. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, "'This is my dearly loved Son.'" Who brings me great joy? This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. This picks up immediately after Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, after Jesus is baptized, the spirit of God comes down and, like a dove and settles, rest actually rests on Jesus, and a voice from heaven comes that says about Jesus, "This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy." This is the most affirming thing that we see in the gospels about God the Father actively speaking about Jesus the Son. And what any parent in the room or watching this knows is this. You love your kids all the time, regardless of how they act and what they do, but they don't always bring you great joy just because of what they do. This is God the Father actively going out of his way to say what my son is doing and who he is brings me great joy joy. Jesus is on the right path. In other words, Jesus is doing good. Jesus has done good. Jesus is on the right path. This is God saying, that's my boy. That's my boy. You're like, that's a nice father-son moment. What a nice father-son moment in front of the world. Wow. In front of the world that's watching Jesus, in front of the world that's just learning about who Jesus is. God the Father goes out of his way to say, this is my son, and I am well pleased. That's my boy. That's my boy. And then Matthew chapter 4 starts. And Matthew chapter four starts with this. It says, then, if you want to type then, if you want to say then right now, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. Then Jesus was led by the spirit, led by God, into the wilderness to be tempted for the purpose of him being tempted there by the devil. Like we almost get whiplash from that from that turn of events, don't we? Like like wait a second, what 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 just happened? We went from completely and fully affirmed and loved by the Father to being led by the Father, led by the Spirit, led by God for the purpose of being tempted by the devil. And this isn't one of those things where we read it wrong and think it happened faster than it actually happened. The Greek makes it clear that this is actually the very next thing that happened. Like basically Jesus walked out of the water and the Spirit of God who had just publicly affirmed him told him to keep on walking out of the water and walk into the desert knowing that in the desert he would be tempted by the devil. And for so many of us, we look at that and we go, wait, wait, did Jesus do something wrong? Like did, if, if Jesus is going out to be tempted, is Jesus did Jesus do something wrong? This is actually a really big deal. For those of you who think, if I was a good Christian, I wouldn't be tempted the way that I am. I must be doing something wrong because I face temptation all the time. This is actually really good news. Facing temptation is not a sign there is something wrong with you or your faith. Facing temptation is not a sign there is something wrong with you or your faith. T- facing temptation is a normal part of human existence. In fact, I think this is why Jesus was led into the desert to be tempted. In order for Jesus to be fully human and experience the fullness of humanity, he had to be tempted in the same ways that we are are. In fact, this is why later when Jesus taught us how to pray, he included that part about lead us not into temptation because he had been there, done that, been tested by the best of the best, and he didn't want anyone to have to deal with that again. He didn't want anything to do with it. So he taught his followers to lead us not into temptation. He'd been there, done that. Facing temptation doesn't mean there's something wrong with you doesn't mean there's something wrong with your faith. It actually puts you in really good company that Jesus himself, the sinless son of God, the lamb of God come into the world to take away the sins of the world was tempted by the best in the business. Verse two tells us this, for 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and he became very hungry, which if you almost wonder why Matthew would have included that, right? Like uh, he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Of course he became hungry. He was probably hungry on day two. It wasn't, uh, it didn't take 40 days for him to be hungry. I bet like Matthew, like why, why, why would you have include that? And in verse three, we learn why Matthew included that. It says, during that time, the devil came. During that time, the devil came. See, that's where we're going to stop in scripture today and, we're, and where we're going to pick it up next week. But here's what we're going to do for the next three weeks. We're going to pull back the curtain on temptation. We're going to pull back the curtain on temptation. And when I say pull back the curtain on temptation, here's, here's what I mean. Everyone remember in the Wizard of Oz, in the Wizard of Oz, when, they, when, when everyone who's been walking together finally meets, meets the Wizard of Oz, they get, they get to the place, and they see the big, gigantic head and all the smoke, and everyone is terrified in the presence of the great and the powerful Oz, Oz. And everyone's just afraid and they're terrified and they're shaking in their boots. And then Toto goes around, around to the side and he pulls back the curtain. And when he pulls back the curtain, the face and the smoke and all of that just turned out to be a guy behind a curtain with a really good media team who keeps saying, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. See, here's the thing: when we pull back the fear, pull back the curtain on temptation, when we understand where temptation comes from, when we understand the nature of temptation and how we can overcome it, what we do is we pull back the curtain and we see the thing that, is, that can be so fear-inducing and so, and so terrifying to so many of us really isn't all that terrifying, really isn't all that fear-inducing, isn't anything to fear at all, that really isn't nearly as powerful as we think. And this is important. This is important. As we look to this example of Jesus, this is important. Jesus didn't just come to pay the penalty for our sin. Jesus came to break the power of sin in your life. Jesus didn't just come to pay the penalty for your sin. Jesus came to pe- pay the penalty for your sin. If you're watching right now and you're trying to decide, to like, like, why should I become a Christian? You should become a Christian because Jesus paid the penalty for your sin. Jesus made the way for you to have a relationship with your heavenly father, with his death on the cross, with his resurrection. He paid the penalty for your sin so you could be in right sinning with God. But if you wanna take it an even another step further, Jesus came to break the power of sin in your life. Jesus didn't just pay for your sin. Jesus came to set an example of how we could overcome the temptation that leads to sin to break the power of it. So we're going to look to Jesus' example to understand the nature of temptation and how we can overcome it because that may just be the thing that in your life and in my life breaks the power of temptation. So for the next few weeks, we're going to look at that example. We're going to look at the example of what happens in the story of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 when he was tempted by the devil to help us understand how to resist and overcome temptation whenever and wherever we face it. See, as we're going to unpack over the next few weeks, Jesus faced what I will refer to as the three core temptations. The three core temptations. See, you'll never be tempted to exactly like Jesus, which is why I didn't want to read each of these this week. You'll never be tempted exactly like Jesus. T- chances are you'll never be tempted to jump off the temple of God. Like Chances are that's not going to happen for you. You'll never be tempted to turn stones into bread. All that, that would be a cool trick. You'll never be tempted to physically bow down to the devil, hopefully. I mean, hopefully at least. Like, like chances are you're never going to face the exact temptations of Jesus. But within these temptations, there are underlying temptations, underlying sources of temptation of what's ultimately on the line every time we're tempted. Here they are. The first temptation is to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. To meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. The second one is to use God to accomplish our own ends to use God to accomplish our own ends. And the third one is to do the right thing at the wrong time in the wrong way or to take a shortcut. To do the right thing at the wrong time in the wrong way or to take a shortcut. See, already, already as you hear that, already as you hear that, this is helpful. This is helpful because it helps to make a little sense of our temptation. Because if you think about it, most of our temptations on the surface, most of our temptations don't actually make that much sense. If it was just the surface stuff, most of our temptations shouldn't be all that tempting. tempting. Let, me, let me give you a few examples of this. Think of this. You're, you're against lying. Like you're against lying. You don't want to work for someone who's a liar. You don't want your kids to lie. You don't want government officials to lie. And sometime this week, you'll be tempted to lie. You'll be tempted to lie. And, you'll, and some of us, you'll fall to the temptation to lie this very week. Some of you, you'll fall to the temptation to lie today. You're against lying, but you'll be tempted to do it. What's that about? You're against lying, but you'll fall to the temptation to do it. When lying is connected to one of those core temptations, when lying is connected to one of those core temptations, to, to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate lay, may, way, to do the right thing at the wrong time the, in the wrong way, to take a shortcut, when, temp, when when lying is connected to one of those core temptations, it becomes a reality and becomes a realistic option to do the very thing that we know that we're against. Let me give you another one. Think of addictive behavior. Like, you hate it. You hate addictive behavior. You hate what it did to your dad, hate what it did to your family, hate what it did to your roommate, hate what it, how it takes great minds and ruins them. And someday, and some of you today, some of you this very day, you will be tempted to run back to the same addictive behavior this afternoon. Like, it's just, it's just a reality. Why do we do that? Because when addictive behavior lines up with one of those core temptations, the very things that we stand against become a realistic option. See, here's the thing this is one of those things where t- temptation is a part of life where our ignorance fuels our behavior. When we ignore the fact that there's more than just bread, more than a lie, more than drink, more than a corner to cut, we set ourselves up for falling and for failing in our attempt to resist temptation. We set ourselves up for living with regret and guilt that we were never meant to experience. There's always more at stake. There's always more at stake. There's always more at stake than what we see. There's things that we don't see that stay behind and beneath the surface. See, at the beginning, I told you that there's always more at stake when we're tempted. For Jesus, as we look to Jesus, when he's about setting up this whole thing of, you know, he's about to be tempted. The devil has just come to him. See, Jesus, for Jesus, what was at stake when he was tempted was his sinlessness. Way more than a loaf of bread. Way more than whether or not an angel would catch him resurrection power was on the line. Your future was on the line. His future was on the line. Your future was on the line. The people that Jesus came to die for were on the line. Your faith, which is impossible without the death and the resurrection of Jesus, was on the line. Jesus' ability to pay for your sin was on the line. Your future, your family, the people you care about the most, in your faith, we on the line. And the same things are true one way or another. The same things are on the line every single time that you are tempted. I'll, I'll just say it this way. Every time you're tempted, your future, your family, and your faith are on the line. Every time you're tempted and every time I'm tempted, our, fa- our future, our family, and our faith are on the line. Let's talk about each of these really quick. Let's talk about how your future is on the line. See, this is one of those things we see so easily in, in, in other people. As, as parents, we see this in our kids, right? That like when, when we see our kids making decisions that they see only today and we know that their today affects their tomorrow, We like we understand that there are no isolated incidents when we see other people and we want our children to make decisions today that set them up for, for a good tomorrow. And so we, so we over a no, good, no, no, you can't do that today. And we think, why can't I do that today? Because today affects your tomorrow and you don't understand that yet, but you got to pay attention to this. Or or as, as friends, we, it's so easy to see when friends are making decisions that are that 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 don't really mess up their today so much, but can massively mess up their tomorrow. And because they're only looking at today and we're looking at tomorrow, we go, you're gonna you're gonna mess some stuff up. And, 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 and we almost overreact. This is why sometimes when you, when you watch Star Wars, some of you, you've watched Star Wars like this. When you're watching it back in the day or the first time you ever saw it, you're watching that moment in, Empire, in The Empire Strikes Back when Darth Vader has just let Luke know that Darth is his father. And he's having this like emotional freak out moment. And Darth says to Luke, he says, Luke, join me. We'll rule the galaxy as father and son. It is the only way. And you're looking at Luke going, Luke, don't do it. Luke, don't do it. It's not the only way. I don't know what the other way is yet, but I know this is the second movie in a trilogy, so I know you've got time to figure out another way. Don't do it because taking the hand now says changes your entire future. It's going to rob the future that you were created and that you were born by midiachlorians to, to, to accomplish or whatever. I don't even understand it. Like but like you you can lose your future because of something that you do in a moment. But we like when when it's us, it's so easy to see in other people. But when it's us, we think, well, no, it's just a Skittle, just a cookie, just a tax return, just a date, just a drink, just an end of the night, just an end of the night. And it's always more than that. And as your pastor, let me just say this. I I can see this in you and I can see this for you. If you're really young, you have a lot of future at stake. But here's what you need to know. The future that you have on the line, so much of what you will live in for the rest of your life is established in your 20s. So much of the choices that you make in your 20s will determine the rest of your life that you live in. So choose well, choose well. Because if you don't choose well, if you don't resist temptation now, you may set up a lifetime that where you experience and live in regret and you lose the future that you hope to live in. If you're, if you're on the older side of things, let me tell you what's true about you. You have a lot of legacy at stake. See, you've lived for the right things. You've lived for the right things. you lived for the right things. You wanted to live a life of faithfulness. But here's what I know about you. A lifetime of faithfulness can be undone by a moment of stupidity. And you think, well, no, no, no. I'll be known for the life that I live. No, no, no. You will be known for the last choice that you make and you will be known either for the for the lifetime of faithfulness but it can be undone by a moment of stupidity if you're not aware if you're not fighting temptation if you're not fighting back if your resistance isn't growing temptation can wipe out your future see temptation can wipe out your future but temptation can also wipe out your family it can also take from you the family that you hope for temptation as we know this temptation never just affects the people that, that, that are that are at the center of the temptation. Temptation is never isolated to the individual. It always affects the people most connected to us. Your this it's why Proverbs 13:20 tells us that those who walk with the wise become wise, those who those who are companions of fools suffer harm. Your life and your future and your faith are not the only things on the line when you are being tempted. The life and the future and the faith of those closest to you, they all experience the consequences of you re- failing to resist temptation. They all experience the consequences of your decision. As a parent, this should make us sit up. Your kids, your kids will live in and experience the consequences if you fail to resist temptation. This should make us sit up as husbands and wives. Your spouse, your spouse will live in and experience the consequences of what happens when you fail to resist temptation. If you fail to resist temptation and it ends up costing you financially, those closest to you will feel the repercussions of your failure to resist temptation. Either because they'll not be able to do the things that you want to do as a family, not be able to take the vacations that you want to take as a family, not be able to go to the places that you want to go as a family, or because you deal with the pressure yourself and you you don't deal with pressure all that well. And they will deal with the fact that you're dealing with something that you don't deal with well. If you you fail to temptation and it costs you trust with the people that you love the most, you lose big time. If you're not careful, if you're not vigilant, if you're not resisting, temptation can harm or even rob you of the family that you hoped for and that you prayed for and that you dreamed of having. Temptation can wipe it out. So temptation can take out your, your, your future, it can take out your family, and it can take out your faith. See, Every time you sin, and I know some of you, you're not that religious, and you'd say, well, I don't sin, I make mistakes. See, here's the thing. Making a mistakes is an oops in your checkbook moment. Sin is knowing it's wrong, but choosing it anyway. Sin is knowing it's wrong, knowing you shouldn't be involved in it, but choosing it anyway. And every time you sin, you say no to your Heavenly Father, one way or another. Whether you're saying, God, I don't really believe that you're big enough to meet my needs. Whether it's saying, God... I don't really believe you have what's best for me. What I'm saying, God, I I believe you may have what's best for me, but I'm going to go about getting it in my own way. Every time you sin, you say no to your heavenly father. And let me just speak to some of you. For some of you, as as, as you maybe are coming back to faith, let me just say what's true about you. You You didn't question or think or doubt your way away from God. You behaved your way away from God. And then you came up with doubts, and then you came up with questions, and then you came up with theological wondering and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, you didn't think and doubt and question your way away from God. You behaved your way away. And then you came up with a whole bunch of stuff to justify what you wanted to do in the first place. And if you're not paying attention, if you're not actively resisting temptation, temptation might even just wipe out your faith. So today, As we close out the beginning of this this series, as we begin thinking about how we overcome temptation, I just want to teach you a phrase that helps us to be aware of what's at stake every time that we're tempted, but also helps us to face temptation and and begin to overcome it. And here's the phrase that I want to encourage you to maybe type in the comments right now, maybe say it out loud with me right now, but here's the phrase one time just me, and and then we'll say it together a couple times. Temptation, you will not steal my future, you will not steal my family, and you will not steal my faith. Now, again, you can, ch- you can type that with me. You can say it out loud in the room wherever you're watching this right now. But would you say this with me? Temptation, you will not steal my future, you will not steal my family, and you will not steal my faith. Now, let's turn it up a notch. Turn to the person who's next to you, maybe call someone, and I want you to right now, tell them your deepest, deepest, darkest secret in temptation. No, I'm just kidding. We're not, we're not gonna do it. Please don't do that right now. Don't, don't do that right now. But to turn it up a notch for a second. I want you to think about your most recurring temptation and one more time while you're thinking about that. Let's say this together. Temptation, you will not steal my future, you will not steal my family, and you will not steal my faith. Temptation, you will not steal my future, you will not steal my family, and you will not steal my faith. See, that's powerful. And that's just the beginning of how we're going to grow our resistance together. Let me pray for you. Today, for some of you, as, as we talk about temptation, you're reminded of the times that you've fallen. You're reminded of the times that you've failed. You're reminded of the, of, of the ways that you feel like you have maybe walked away from God. And right now, you might be a person saying, I, I've walked away from God. I don't know that right now I have a relationship with him. And the good news for you is that what we said earlier is true, that Jesus came to pay the price for all of the times that you have walked away from God. He came to pay the price, the penalty for your sin for the ways that you fall to temptation. And when you do that, you fall away from God. He came to do that so that you could be right with your heavenly father. And the way back to relationship with your heavenly father, it begins by placing your trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, which was accomplished by his death at the, uh, on the cross. And it comes by trusting in his resurrection, which brings you new life and new connection with your heavenly father. So right now, I would encourage some of you to like this video right now as a signal to me, and as a signal to your heavenly father, that you're choosing to put your trust in Jesus' death and his resurrection because you want a connection and you want a relationship with him. Now let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for this example that we have from the life of Jesus. Thank you that Jesus was tempted so that we can know what Jesus did when he was tempted. Thank you that we can know how Jesus faced and overcame temptation. God, thank you for the awareness that we're going to gain in the next few weeks. Thank you for the awareness that we've already gained of what temptation looks like and where it comes from and what it's ult- what's ultimately behind it. And God, also the awareness of what it can ultimately do if we fall to it, if we fail to it. So God, would you give us today, would you give us today and for the next few weeks and for the rest of our lives, wisdom to know what to do with the things that we've heard. And God, would you give us the courage to face temptation and say temptation is you will not steal my future. You will not steal my family and you will not steal my faith. We're gonna figure out how to resist temptation. We're gonna grow our resistance. God, help us to do it. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.